Well, good morning, everyone. I know you all came here to hear me this morning. <laughs> no pressure, uh, but we're going to do our best this morning as we look at something that I think ties in pretty nicely with the things that we've been talking about this weekend. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to focus on what Jesus says here to, to begin this great commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you, practically speaking, in your life? Making disciples of all nations. Nations. What well, I know what it meant for the apostles when they heard this, because historically leading up to Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension, prior to that, all the things that he had been doing pretty much were to the Jews, focused on the Jews, focused on the Lord's people. And as the apostles are going to go out, they're going to go out to all nations. They're not going to focus on just the Jews. So as I think about that, it's, it's a responsibility I have, and you all have, to go out to all people and teach. We teach to people who believe or are generally inclined to believe. That's kind of what we're doing right now. And a lot of times we'll, we'll teach people who are part of some other denomination, or maybe we'll teach our, our family, well, hopefully we'll teach our family, but we do all this internal teaching sometimes, but this is a broad, a broad scope. Teaching to people who don't believe in God, teaching to people who are completely against God, atheists, these evolutionists that we've been talking about this weekend, these kinds of people, how, how do we go out to them? How do we approach them? is really the question, is really the point of this lesson. How do we approach these kinds of people? There's a word in the Greek, dialegomai. And this word is really interesting because half the time it's translated, it's translated in a negative sense. You'll remember in Mark chapter 9, we just read it not very long ago, but you'll remember in Mark chapter 9 as they're going up and the disciples are arguing with each other about who is the greatest. That word argue there is dialegomai. A lot of times it's translated as argue, dispute, have a quarrel with. But then half the time it's translated, it's translated as reason. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Reason with. And it's also translated as talk to. You'll remember in Acts chapter 20, what were they doing? Paul was talking to them. He was preaching to them. He was having dialogue with them. And so on one hand, you have this dialogue, this reasoning with people that's a positive thing. But on the other hand, dialegomai can also mean to argue or to fight. And just in the word in and of itself, don't you see that as the problem today? When you go out and you start to speak to people, there's a very fine line between reasoning with and quarreling with. And you know that to be the case. Because dialogue, honest dialogue in our culture, 
it, I, I, it doesn't exist anymore, it seems. I'm sure it exists in some places, but so quickly we will jump to fight, we will jump to, to isolate and ostracize people, we'll form our echo chambers, and we'll assert our dominance of our opinion, our position. And so there's, there's a difference here between fighting and arguing and reasoning with people and having dialogue with people. So let's go to Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to spend our entire focus here. Acts chapter 17. This is one of the first references that we see to this word, dialegomai, here done by Paul. So he says in verse 16, Now while I was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. You'll remember this story if you're a student of the Bible. You'll remember where Paul is, what he's about to do. He's in Athens, he's surrounded by idolatry, and he has some very important things to say to them. But the first characteristic that we see from Paul that helps us kind of have a a better approach to people starts by caring. Notice how much Paul cared. It says, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Do you ever get provoked by sin? Does it bother you? I think sometimes it's easy to become numb to sin. We're surrounded by it all the time. And we'll hold up our political figures, we'll hold up our celebrities and our athletes. And you know what we'll do? We'll ignore all the divorces they've had. We'll ignore all the adultery they've committed. We'll ignore all the lies that they've told. We'll ignore a lot of terrible things in in their character. We'll ignore that and still hold them up on a pedestal. I think that's really dangerous. Do you want your people who you hold so highly to be these kinds of people? And what does that say about how much sin provokes you? Does sin provoke you? Do you get upset about it? Do you become bothered by it? Because that's what Paul did. He saw the condition of these people and their idolatry, and he was bothered by it. So that's step number one, care. Before we go out into the world, all the world, and teach to all creation, what we need to do first is care about sin. And if we don't, then we're not going to speak up, and we're not going to be convicted to help them and to do what we can for them. So the second point, we'll see, and you're probably familiar with what happens here. He is, in verse 17, reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews. So he's having dialogue. He's having this Good discussion with the Jews. And there's some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who think he's some crazy babbler and they don't understand what he's talking about. And so they invite him to come and to speak to them more. So in verse 22, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So there's three things that I want to pull out from this section. The first one is he was curious. Not only did he care, he was very curious. Notice his curiosity. 
Notice how he goes and finds a, a quiet time to go wander around and do some research on these guys. To go around and to figure out what hook he could possibly use to pull them in. What possible way he could use, what doorway he could use to introduce the true God to them. And as he's doing his research, as he's curiously looking around, what does he find? The altar to the unknown God. Aha! That's the hook. That's what I can use to help them. And so that's where he starts when he begins to teach to them here. So for us, are we curious? I don't think you could have listened to the last three classes that we've had and probably listened to the next three classes that we have without a sense of curiosity. You need to have curiosity for those in the world who believe things that you don't understand. We paint with a really broad brush sometimes, don't we? We paint people, we label people, we, we call them certain things so that, so that we don't have to think about it anymore. Oh, well, they're just evolutionists. Okay, done. Oh, 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 they're just atheists. Okay, done. Oh, they're part of some den denomination. Okay, done. That, that's not what Paul does here. He says, you are idolaters. Obviously, he cares about that. He's bothered by it. But he goes a step further and says, I need to figure out more about these people. I need to learn more about what they believe. And that's what we've been doing here. A lot of times we've been talking about these speculations and all these theories and all of these people who, who claim that, the, that evolution took place over millions and millions of years and all of that. Think about these things. Internalize them so that you know what the hook is. And the hook for these people was this altar to the unknown God. So do you get curious about people? You get curious enough about what they believe. Do you get curious enough about their background to do some research and do some investigation? Because that's a, that goes a long way in helping them when you know exactly how to tailor the gospel for their needs. Does that phrase make you uncomfortable, tailor the gospel? I think sometimes we, we adopt this mentality that there's one right way to preach and there's one right way to teach. And if, if we just follow these four steps, then boom, everyone will be converted. That's not what Paul did. Paul became all things to all men. Why? So that he might win some. He approached people where they were. And that's what we see here in this section. So let's, let's think a little bit more here. He says... Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So the third thing I want to pull out from this is that he connected with them. You see how he's connecting with them here. You know, you're religious, and I'm religious too. We have that in common. When was the last time you thought about somebody who had a differing belief than you? And first thought about what you had in common with them. We like to think about all the things we have different with them, but, but what about stopping before we teach and thinking about what it is we have in common and telling them, because that's what Paul does. Can you imagine here how challenging this might be to call a bunch of idolaters who don't know God very religious? 
Think about how silly that sounds or how, how hard that is for us to process. But that's what Paul does. He connects with them. He's trying to say, I see you. I know what's going on. I've done my research, by the way. I've been curious about you guys. I see you, and here's how we're on the same page. By the way, when you go and teach to a lot of people coming from denominations and other places, you very well may find a lot of common ground. Do you believe in God? I believe in God. Do you believe that the Bible is from God? I believe it too. There's all kinds of common ground there that we can strike with people, and so connecting with them, making them feel like you see them and that you understand who they are. So he continues on here in the fourth step. By the way, without this fourth step, it's all meaningless. A lot of times we will stop, we will stop at this last step of connection. We'll get caring about them, we'll, we'll start, to, start to really care about sin, and we'll do our research, and, and we'll try to connect with people, but if we never take this last step, then it's all meaningless, and that step is to correct, and that's what he does. So he's done all of this back work, he's done all of this prep to be able to tell them the things they need to hear, and what is his message, and I don't know how this fits in t- so nicely with the lesson we've been studying about over this weekend, but he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. What does he start with? God made this world. He made everything you see. And that's where he starts. A good place to start especially when you're dealing with a bunch of idolaters who have made up all of these false gods all around them. Let me tell you about the, who, who the true God is. And then he moves on, and he begins talking about how God made us. He says in verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. What Paul's doing there is he's saying, yes, God made everything. And guess who else he made? He made you. That's who made you. God is the one who made you. And then he goes on to talk about the relationship that God wants to have. His third point in his sermon is that in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. What are are we in relation to this God who created everything and who created us? He wants a relationship with us. And so laying out these three points to the people, then he closes with the clincher. This is where it all changed. This is where it all boils down to. He says in verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's the the end of his sermon. Repent. Change. We need to get to that point. 
in our teaching with people, in our evangelism. We need to get to the point where we stop talking about all of the ideas, we stop talking about all of the, the, the concepts, and we get to the purpose of our message. Change. Repent. And if we haven't gotten to that point, we haven't reached the end goal of our evangelism, of our teaching. Because that's what knowing God, what believing in God will lead people to do, is to listen to him and to change. And so we see Paul using this great template, really, for preaching. Care about people. Care about sin. Get curious about them and do your research. Connect with them. Find common ground with them. And then, with all of that back work done, correct them. Correct them and help them to understand where they're, where they're lacking in their, in their faith, in their belief in God. Did it work? Not really. If you go on to read, you'll find that many of the people just thought he was crazy, especially as he started talking about somebody rising from the dead. What? But they didn't believe in large part. He does say that a few did believe. And that's the last thing I want to leave you with for this lesson, just briefly. Your work may never convince an atheist that God is real. Your work may never convince your coworker that they should follow God. Your work may never turn out good. It may never turn out productive. People may never hear you. But you've done your part. Because our job is to plant and to water and praise God that he gives the growth, because I could never do that. So you don't have to worry about how your message is received by all nations. You just have to get out there and give it to them. Please take out your songbooks and turn to the number that's been announced. Thank you for your attention, and we will quickly turn things over to somebody who actually knows what he's talking about. But if you're here this morning, and sincerely... You're convicted by the fact that God made everything. That he made you. And that he deeply wants a relationship with you. If that, if that changes you, and you're ready to give your life to him in baptism, then we'll do that this morning. If you need prayers from this group for help in some way, please come forward as we stand and sing.